It's, uh, I wish I could say it's wonderful to be back in the heat, but I'll trust God knows what he's doing and say it's wonderful to be back in the heat. I've been kind of stewing on this for several weeks, and so I don't know how much of it we're going to get covered today. But uh, take your Bible and turn to Ephesians 1. Surprise, surprise. Ephesians chapter 1. We're just going to do a a run-through and then look at a couple of verses and then share a couple of things about it. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul starts with, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And I'm writing this to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. That's interesting. He makes a distinction between just the saints and those who are faithful. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on and for about 13 verses, he just talks about all of these wonderful things that God has done in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father who's blessed us with all spiritual blessings, chose us, predestined predestined us uh, according to the kind intention of his will, made known to us the mystery of his will. All of these things he talks about. And then he says in, in verse 18, I pray that your eyes will be enlightened, that you can see all this wonderful stuff God has done. Because you're not going to see it in the natural. If you look around at your circumstances and you look around at the world, you're not going to see the glorious things God has done for us. It's going to take revelation. And he said, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that the lights would come on, that you can see how good you've got it. How good God has been to you. I want you to see that. And then he says, um, verse 22, he put all things in subjection under, and he says his and him. I'm going to use Jesus because that's who he refers to. He put all things in subjection under Jesus' feet and gave Jesus as head Over all things, he placed Jesus, we find, because he surrendered and was obedient to the Lord, and God elevated him. We find that in Hebrews. And he put him, moved him from a servant to head over everything, everything in the universe, everything that's ever created, he made him the head of it. And, by the way, to the church made him the head of the church. He earned the right to be head of the church by the things that he surrendered to in the Father. God elevated him. Everything was going good till he had to bring the church in it. And then he describes it. He says, which is his body? The fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, look over in chapter 3, verse 14. I bow my knees before the Father, whom every family on earth has derived its name. 
that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit. First, he says, I want your, your, your mind to be enlightened, your heart to be enlightened, that you can see all of these things that God has done. And then I want you to be strengthened by that in the inner man of what he's done in us. He says some other things, and then in verse 20, he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works where? Within us. The power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church. There he is again, bringing in the church. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And he brings it up again in chapter 5, verse 20, 32, talking about relationships with the husbands and wife. And then he says, this mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nearly all of the letters that Paul wrote, he wrote, to the church. Okay? Nearly every one of them. There was somebody who wrote to individuals, but they were still people who were actively involved in the church. Paul cared deeply about the church. But let me explain something to you. Paul did not write one single word to the church as we know it. Not a word. It was a completely different entity. Because in the mind of Jesus and what, in the mind of Paul and what God had revealed to them is what he says in verse 23, which is his body. He says the church is the physical manifestation of Christ on the earth. It is his body. Now, this is a hypothetical experiment. I'd like to be able to take 10 people, just 10 people, that somewhere they've been and they have never been exposed to the Christian religion. Okay? 2,000 years of the Christian religion has been on the earth. And, and I'd like to find somebody that's never been exposed to any of it and put them in a room. And I'd like to find those people that had three things. Number one, they had Scripture. Number two, they had the Holy Spirit. And number three, they had a heart to only do what God showed them to do. Three things. They had Scripture, had the Holy Spirit, and they had a heart to only do what God wanted them to do. I can assure you, in 2,000 years, they would never come up with what we've been led to believe the church is. Wouldn't happen. Even these guys, the early church, they didn't come to that conclusion. 
200 years, 300 years later, there was an outside influence brought to bear on the church that changed it and shaped it and forced it into much of what we see today as the church. And it ceased to be in function the body of Christ, and it became this religious system that's called Christianity. And the concept that that we are part of the physical body of Jesus on the earth with him as the head and life flowing from him to us, shared by one another, has been lost for the most part. That's who Paul's writing to. That's who he's speaking to. So you can understand how difficult it is because we don't have that luxury. We've all been exposed to that. We've all been told what it's supposed to look like. We've all been told what it has to have and what it has to be. And so you can imagine how difficult it is as we try to make that transition And and if you ever read the church covenant, the whole concept is to experience the reality of Christ as head of the church in a non-religious manner. To get back to the point to where what we are is an expression of the body of Christ under the headship of Christ to function under his leadership. It's a slow process. It's a huge transition. And Paul's writing to that group. And if you, can, if you can just for a second pretend we haven't had all that influence and say, okay, we're the body of Christ. Okay, we're, we're, we're Christ's expression here. How do I see ourselves and the body of Christ, the church, that way? Now in verse 20 of chapter 3, he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Therefore, all right, now, anytime you see a therefore, you need to know what the therefore is there for. And in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, therefore, therefore, because he is able to do more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you who make up these, the members that make up this body of Christ. He says, I am imploring you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Okay? The calling that's been placed on these members' life is tremendous. And he says, I want you to walk in a way that is worthy of how you've been called. Now, the idea of calling, you know, we in the past, you know, you're called to the mission field. You're called to be a preacher, or you're called to all of these things. But Scripture is much more pervasive than that. In, Second, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, he says, I have been called into fellowship with his son. Okay? So he has set me aside to have fellowship with his son. That's a calling, not just on 
an elite, not just on the clergy, but each one of us is called as a member of this body, connected to the head, connected to one another. He says, I want you to function in fellowship with the head because you're a part of this body. And I want you to, you've been called to fellowship with him, to receive from him, to respond to him, to give him first place, as we talked about last time, in your life, because he's the head. So he's called us to have fellowship with his son. Well, if you look in Colossians, and Colossians and Ephesians are almost a repeat from one another in a bunch of different places, because he's saying the same thing in in different words over here. For instance, in Colossians chapter 3, Verse uh, 16, no, verse 15. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart to which indeed you were called in one body. So we were called to be a part of this body that is Christ. We have been called to be a member of this body, to function in fellowship with the head, that the life of the head might be expressed through all of the members of the body. That's what we're called to be. That's what we're called to do. Then he goes on, and we're going to come back to that, but in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have called. And then he describes what that calling looks like. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. So, as you have been chosen of God, that's just another word for call. You've been called of God. You've been chosen of God, holy and beloved. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you forgive the one who has offended you. Beyond all these things, Put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like Jesus. He says, you're connected to the body. The head is Jesus. And I'm asking you to express that connection to one another and to the world. And that's what it looks like. Humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. That's what he says. Listen, anywhere there is the nature of Christ, the character of Christ will be revealed. Anywhere there is the nature of Christ, the character of Christ will be revealed. That's what he's saying here. You're part of the body, you're a member of the body. You're connected to the head. That nature that of Christ lives in you. Now I'm saying to you, express the character of Christ. 
That's what he's saying here. All of these things are just a revelation of who Jesus is. Church life takes on the posture of Christ. And listen, church life, all church life is, is Christ's life expressed, is this horizontal? Horizontally. Okay. I get vertical and horizontal. I just, you know, the V points up, the H points this. So church life is just Christ's life expressed horizontally. If I say I have the nature of Christ in me, then the character of Christ should be revealed through me because I am the body of Christ. I'm not part of a club. I'm not part of an organization. I'm not part of a group. I am literally the physical part of the body of Christ. I've been called to be that. He says, now that nature is there, express that character to one another. And then he says, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He says the same thing, basically, in Colossians. He says, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Unity doesn't mean conformity to the same thing. He says, here, put on the, preserve the unity of the Spirit. God has already created a unity within the body of Christ. We don't have to find one. We don't have to establish one. We don't have to go out and try to make one happen. He has already established a unity in the body of Christ. And here's the thing about it. If I go over here and say, okay, I'm going to establish unity around, well, I don't know, um, cowboys. Or if I'm going to go over here and establish unity around a certain doctrine. Or if I'm going to go over here and establish unity around race. Or if I'm going to go over here and create unity around whatever. Anything I try to establish unity around, I have just created division in the body of Christ. Because there's already unity established in the body of Christ. That unity, and he's going to explain more over here, that unity is each one of these members having a connection to the head and sharing the life of one another with the head. I cannot tell you how imperative it is for us to begin to see in our own life what the body of Christ is and that we are part of it. And he goes on and he says, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body. What body is that? There's one body, body of Christ. There's one Spirit. What Spirit is that? It's the Holy Spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling. Who is our hope in? Jesus. One Lord. Who's the Lord? Jesus. One faith in who? Jesus. 
One baptism. Now, well, okay, now, is that water baptism? Is that immersion? Is that sprinkling? Is that... Listen, it ain't none of those. It's the fact that we have been baptized, immersed into Christ and become a part of him and who he is. That's the baptism. And that happens when we come to meet the Lord. We're placed, we're immersed in him. That's the baptism. That's the connection he's talking about. One God. Who is that God? He is the Father. The Father of who? Father of Jesus. Here he comes back and again, and he says, now, here's the focus. Here's the basis of unity is Jesus. Nothing else matters. It's based around him. And then he, 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 you think he went off rails here, but he didn't. All he did is emphasize the headship of Christ. Here's what he said. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Who gives the grace? Who gives the gift? Christ does. Why? He's the head. Who does he give it to? The members in the body. They're an expression of grace to reveal him. Therefore, it says, and you go, you scratch your head, wow. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself who also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. That it brought to me, Paul, that is a roundabout, round, round, blah, 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 roundabout way of saying it's Christ. Only Christ did those things. And he reiterates the headship of Christ and who he is. All right? Now he says, Christ, as the head, he did something. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. He gave these expressions of himself. Which one of those was Jesus? Every one of them. Every one of them. He gave these to the body because They were needed to be the expression of who he was. And that's just, and and by the way, the early church didn't have a list. The early church did absolutely nothing because it was written in the Bible. They didn't have it. They had Christ. They had apostles' doctrine, which was three and a half years with Jesus. And they had fellowship with him among themselves, the body of Christ. Now he says, he gave some as apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Now I want you to notice, we've talked about this before, and we're going to talk about it until we get it, okay? He says, he gave these to the church for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to The building up of what? The body of Christ. The body of Christ. All right, now watch. The best picture I can give you here, and and folks, listen, all parables break down at some point, okay? All illustrations, they make a point. Don't get hung up on all the details on this. Just if you do, wait for the point, okay? The best picture I see of this 
is here is a mother who has a little, let's say a little boy. Okay? And this little boy has a room. And his room is a mess. And she's been trying her best to get this little boy in there to clean that room up. So she does what mothers do. Go clean your room. She tells him, go clean his room. He goes in there and finds more toys to pull out. Makes a bigger mess. So then she says, go clean your room. Thinking louder is going to facilitate the cleaning of the room. So she finally says, I'll do it myself. I'll just go in there and clean it myself. Or she says, I'm going to hire somebody to go in there and clean the room. And you know what? The room gets cleaned. But you know what? The little boy has not grown in his sense of responsibility. And I want to tell you something. As long as she'll clean the room, he'll let her. You found that to be true? As long as you clean that room for him, he, go, Mom. He'll let her do it. And he'll grow into a man who says, way to go, wife. Picked up all my socks and shirts and pants and all of that stuff all over the house. But you see, the, the bigger purpose in this relationship with the mother is not to get the room clean. We lose sight of that. We see the immediate and get the room cleaned. I'll tell you a better way to do this. The best way to do it, first of all, is to set an example. How about your own room, Mom? What does it look like? Are you saying to him by your behavior and your performance that a clean room is important? By Not just by telling him, but by demonstrating it, modeling it. Second of all, how about if you go in there, take him with you, and you make it an enjoyable experience cleaning the room? And you keep doing that until that value that's in your heart is transmitted to him, and he has grown, and he's learned to clean his room. Now watch. He gave some apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. He did not give them to the church so that they could tell the members to do the work of the service. He didn't give those to the church so that they could berate the members. Y'all are sorry, worthless, lazy, no good. Like that's going to motivate you to do the work of the service. He didn't give those to the church to merely teach how to do the work of the service. He didn't put those guys, he didn't give those to the body so that they can go find some information somewhere and come back and espouse it to the church and tell them to go do it. He gave those to the church first and foremost that they would be a model of what doing the work of the service is like. And if they don't do that, they don't have credibility with the body. There's no integrity there. There's no honesty. Their first heart is to be an expression of Christ to the body before they ever try to instruct the body to be that expression. 
These are leaders in the body. How do I know they're leaders? Well, because he says these guys are to equip the saints for the work of service. Not tell them about doing the work of service, but show them how to do the work of the service. The job is not just merely get something done. The job is to bring us along. Maybe it's evangelism. Here's someone who's got the gift of evangelism. His job is not to go out and evangelize for the church. He's going to do that on his own because that's in his heart. But the bigger picture is that he takes somebody that has that heart too but doesn't have a clue how to do it. He says, come on, go with me. I'll show you how we do it. Someone that has a pastor's heart. His job is not to just be the guy that pastors the whole church. His job is to find somebody in the body that says, you know, I might have a pastor's heart, but I don't know how to do this. Come on, I'll show you how to do it. And listen, you know what? When those guys, let me just, can I use guys? I mean, it's California speak. That means everybody, okay? When those guys do what is in their heart to do, you know what happens to them? Joy rises up because there's nothing more joyful than doing what God has put in your heart to do. And you know what? Somebody in the body sees that joy and says, man, what's the deal here? How come you're so joyful? And the response is, I'm just responding to the call that God has put in my heart. And God's called you to something. Let's find what that is. And the joy that's mine will be your joy. There's no manipulation. There's no coercion. There's no hiring somebody else to do it. It comes from within the body of Christ because God put that gifting there. Now, he says, he gave some apostle, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service. Now, what is the work of service? What is that supposed to be? You have any idea what that would be based on this morning? I'm going to pick on Mary Lou again. You know what she was doing? Work of the service. She was doing the work of a servant. She was out there serving the Lord in the world that God put her in. That's the work of the service. It's not being on a committee. It's not signing up to do this or do that. I mean, it may be that. But more importantly, it's doing what God puts in your heart to do where God places you to do it. That's the work of the service. What was she doing? She was manifesting Jesus. I mean, I'm pretty sure he didn't know what to do. Here he's already beat himself up, and she comes in and says, oh, no, man, you're, you're wonderful. And he's going, what? There was joy in her getting to tell that. And listen, that is what draws people to Christ. That, look what he says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. That builds up the body of Christ. These leaders find their place and they accept their responsibility to equip the saints. Ask the Lord to show them who else has got this heart and come and say, show me how to do that. And next thing you know, they're doing the work of the service. And that builds up the body of Christ. What do you mean builds up the body of Christ? Well, it started with Christ. 
was initiated by Christ, was carried out by Christ, it manifested Christ, it revealed Christ. That's the church, period. It's not add-ons, tack-ons. It's not the inventions of man that think they know better. Now, here's the problem with it. Just like that mom who is committed to equipping that son, it's inconvenient, takes time, and they don't get it immediately. Go drop a seed in the ground and see if it springs up into an oak tree the next day. Things that grow take time. Things that grow take nourishing and encouraging to do it. But it is the way of the body of Christ. Until, do this, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and a knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. What is this mature man going to look like? What is this body going to look like when he gets mature? Well, the measure is Christ, to the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. The measure of a body is how much of Christ is expressed through it. Everything else is incidental because it is the body of Christ. As a result, I think it's just, to me, it just struck me interesting that he threw this picture in there. As a result, we're no longer to be children. Tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Folks, I know some of us, our head is about to explode because it's such a challenge to the understanding that we've been conditioned to believe about the church. You say, well, have you ever seen a perfect church? No, I've never seen a perfect Christian either. But that don't mean I'm gonna, not going to keep sharing the word, encouraging, and blessing. And you get these verses, and he says, well, you know, we're perfect. Let me give you a picture of that. If you find an oyster, and you can determine that there's a pearl in that oyster, you haven't opened it, you just somehow determine there's a pearl in there. Is that a perfect oyster? Yeah. It can't get any more oyster. It's as much oyster as it's ever going to be. But if you'll leave it alone, it will mature. Will it be more oyster than it was? No. But it will be a fuller expression of the perfection that already exists. He says you and I are complete. We don't become more Christian or less Christian but we become a fuller expression of that perfection that he has worked in us. So we don't give up. We don't look for something to speed up the process. You can't do that. You cannot do that with life. 
We had a doctor. tried that with Karis. I think he had a golf match. So he decides he's going to speed up this process. It was a disaster. The nurse walked out of the delivery room and flung a clipboard down the hall. She was so frustrated. Then she turned around and saw us and, oh, what have I done? You can't speed up life. You can't force it. You can't pull something from the outside to make it grow faster. It goes through the process. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. From whom, there it is again, here's the head, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes... When the parts in the body find their part, learn to be that expression of Christ. And in those joints, those relationships with one another that are healthy, it causes the growth of the body in love. It causes that. You want to cause an effect? Here it is. When the body realizes that it is the body of Christ, it has a calling, it has a part, and it seeks for God to realize that and quicken them in their heart, and they begin to do it, the body will grow in love. You can take that to the bank. That's all I have to say about that. Any questions? Now, let me say something to you, and, and we'll get the, Vern- the microphone to Vernell here. <clears throat> there has been a flow of this perspective on the earth since the church was created in Jerusalem. And it has clashed with that Christian system time and time again. And it would be scattered, but it would come back. It's never died. Just because you haven't heard of it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. If all I've ever known is this world, and I don't even entertain the possibility that there's anything else out there. And you know what? This is pretty much all I'm going to see. It exists. It exists in the earth today. There is a flow that all they want to do is meet around Jesus, meet around Christ, honor him, and surrender to his headship. That's been my heart. It's been the elder's heart. It's been the heart. of Read the, the church covenant. That's what's spelled out in there. Vernell, uh, Vernell? Just want to make sure I heard you. The body of Christ is already perfect. Is already what? Is perfect. Yeah. And so what we are living out 
is a full, a fuller expression of fuller of expression of the perfection that's already there. That's right. And if you can think of perfect, we have a tendency to think of perfect as it never sins. Exactly. Okay. Perfect in Scripture basically means complete. Complete. The body of Christ is complete under the headship of Christ. Mm-hmm. It has, it's, like, it's like a seed. You take an acorn, everything, all of the DNA and identity of that huge oak tree is right there it's in that already acorn. already there. Okay. And when it sprouts, well, here's your oak tree right here. It yeah. can't get any oakier. Okay? Yes. But as it grows, it matures, and it becomes a fuller expression of what's in there. If the members are submitted to the head. So that just uh, doesn't give uh, room for that expression, well, I'm not perfect. You know, so it's like a go-to. So that when I do not manifest that fullness... You know, instead of receiving from Christ the forgiveness, you know, that's our go-to. Well, I ain't perfect, right. you know. And for me, sometimes when I flub it, you know, I immediately, you know, God still loves me. Right. Because I'll, I want to throw myself out. But right. God still loves me. And that he's working in me the manifestation of that fullness. Right. Did I hear you right? That's right. See, if I'm not complete, God would be unjust to hold me accountable to obey in every instance. But he has equipped me to be able to choose righteousness in every circumstance. I don't realize it. I don't embrace it. But he has equipped me to do that. If I walk in that, I walk in righteousness. Because that's his nature and that's his character. All right. Anyone else? Oh, Michael. Two things. Um, number one, what we experience here today, what we've participated in here today, is not a Christian service. Right? Christian service happens in moments, and it doesn't only happen on Sunday. You know, my mom wasn't talking to Julian on a Sunday morning. She wasn't at church, right? We don't go to church. We are the church. So we're meeting here as members of the body on Sunday morning. And then when we go to home group on Wednesdays, um, but we're not experiencing a Christian service. Christian service happens. And it's something that we do. Can I add to that? Yes. Getting him to come to church is way down the list. Yeah. It's way, the first thing is his relationship with Christ. Okay? So we can't, well, she, she, she didn't do the work of service. She didn't get him here. That's not the work of service. Go ahead. The other thing that stood out is joy is the product of obedience. Um, that doesn't mean that when I'm obedient that I'm going to choose joy. I mean, I have to choose joy. Sometimes obedience doesn't feel very good. Sometimes it's not fun to obey. It's not fun to clean your room, right? But joy is the product of obedience, but we need to choose it. You know, when you go to Dave and Buster's, they give you all those little coupons and you go and pick your prize, right? Choose joy. 
That's it. Yeah, folks, listen. Abraham walking up the mountain with Isaac, he was not doing the Macarena. But he was obedient to what God had put in his heart. Anybody else? Oh, yo. You through with me? (laughs) So, just hear this and correct me if I'm wrong. We've been working on a duplex, and a lot of you are probably tired of hearing about it. But we have, and that morning in my mind, I got up. I was going through the list of what I felt like I needed to do. So I sat down, and I was having my time with the Lord. And in it, he was saying, I've already prepared your day. I've already prepared your day. And then the verse that that came to mind was, he has ordered my steps. Correct. And I said, okay, Lord, you have already prepared the day, and you have already ordered my steps. I just need to ask you, show me your way. Mm -hmm. Show me the step to take, when, how, show me what a beautiful day that was. Mm-hmm. It was such a beautiful day. Did I get everything done I wanted to get done? No. And some of you that really know me probably would say, boy, I bet she was frustrated. No, no. Because at the end of the day, in my heart, I guess you could say in my spirit, it was like, Lord, you ordered those steps. And I rejoice and I thank you for that. That's good. All right, you're dismissed.